Welcome to the Four Thoughts of Our Founders, the podcast of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. We are practitioners, scholars, administrators, and and researchers, and most importantly, zealots of this sacred space. Boy, have we got a special guest for you all today. I won't belabor the point, so let's get at it. Want to introduce you to a good friend, a practitioner, a scholar, um, and an administrator extraordinaire, Dewan B. Warmack. What's going on, brother? I'm doing well, Dr. Felton. How you doing, my brother? I'm good, man. Herman is up in this building. Herman is up in this building. Okay, I got you. I got you, brother. I got you. <laughs> How's life treating you, brother? It's doing well, man. Just grinding, fighting the fight, brother. That's it. That's that's a reoccurring theme. Every time I see you, um, that that is what you're doing, fighting a good fight, man. I, I first want to thank you on behalf of uh, Health for making time to come uh, and share with us uh, what I think will be um, an informative and inspiring conversation for those uh, in the space, out the space, um, and all around the space, man. So want to introduce you to the folks. Um, I know you need no introduction. Uh, you are the man. Uh, but <laughs> who, who is Dewan Warmack? Where is this brother from? Well, brother, uh, so just let me say this. First off, thank you, man, for allowing me to be on here, man. I, I am truly a admirer of your work and what you've done with health and how many um, professions you've transformed to help them transcend into their uh, whatever the endeavors that they're choosing. So thank you, brother, for allowing me to be on here and share this space with you. Much love, bro. Uh, Much love. Uh, so I, who is DeWan, man? Um, I, originally, I would say if, if you knew me between the ages of one to 18, nobody would know Dewan, right? And so I'm born and raised in Detroit, so I'm known by everybody in Detroit as Jabari. So my, you know, Jabari is the name, that's my middle name, but nobody in Detroit knew me as Dewan until I went to college in the South, then people called me by my first name, Dewan. And so that's when you'll know who's known me from what era. If someone calls me Jabari, oh yeah, they must have known him from way back. And after that was post-college as Dewan. And so born and raised in the D, East side of Detroit, man. Um, uh, born and raised in Mac and B. Wick, and any listeners know about the East Side. Uh, what, Detroit know Mac and B. Wick it is. I went to Finney High School. Finney, Finney High School. Finney. I don't know yep. if you know F-I-N-N-E-Y. this. I N N E Y. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I got, I got, I got. I, I, I understand. It. I don't know if you know this, man, but I was a Marine recruiter in Detroit, Michigan, man. Um, I was I there didn't. from ninety. Four to ninety six, man. I stayed right on Harvard, um, Jefferson Avenue, right in Harvard Town. Yeah, yeah, right by Bell Isle. You yeah, weren't too far from Bell Isle, man. I used to run so, Bell Isle, bro. Did you really? Yeah. So you probably recruited Cass King Renaissance a lot. Denby, Oak Park, Finney. Oh, Denby as well. Cass okay, Tech, yeah. I, I mean, all over the place. Southfield, okay. Southfield, Lake. Well, you got the whole deal. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I'm, so sorry about that, but uh, you know you are. Oh no, no! <laughs> I know we can <laughs> right. have a whole podcast about the D, though, right? <laughs> right, oh no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 uh, born and raised in Detroit, and you went to college. Um, how how'd you how'd you get out of the D, man? I mean, on a, on a scholarship, on a basketball scholarship. That was my way out of the hood, man. That was my ticket. I wasn't. Um, I graduated high school, not cum laude, but thank you, Lordy. <laughs> And uh, was able to get get out of there, man. And someone gave me a chance to go play ball down in Mississippi, and um, gave me a full athletic scholarship to play basketball. And 
played on, I would I would argue probably some of the best teams that's ever uh, played. Went twenty seven and three my first year, and um, and I think uh, twenty seven and five to our senior year. So we had we had a great run, Division two Elite Eight. So we had some. Really, really, really good runs. So that explains why you can't put that peel down right now today. Uh, well, I mean, when you get, you know, I'm I'm fat and old now, man, so I hate <laughs> running for no purpose. So I, the only way I can get a little cardio is to still try to uh, bounce the ball. But I, my mind says it, but my body says something different. So I find myself talking more than I'm playing. That recovery time is something real, huh? Oh my goodness! And I tell you, I, I am. The, I think I should invest in stock in Epsom salt. I tell you, <laughs> it's real. Young, young people, young people. One day that Epsom salt will be a staple in the uh, in the bathroom. I promise you. I tell you, it's right there. So what what college did you go to, bro? I went to Delta State University in Cleveland, Mississippi. Oh, sweet. It's a yeah Division two uh, school, man. And so um, I was I was. Uh, like I said, left Detroit on a Greyhound bus with $25 and migrated south, man. And so I was the epitome of first generation. So my mom, you know, had a GED and uh, none of my brothers ever finished high school. My dad, same thing, man. And so, uh, you know, I was the one who, I guess, God had to break some of those generational curses as it relates to education. So I went, I went as a basketball player, but left there as a scholar. Man, talk about God. Um, nothing but God, brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you find yourself obviously something sticks. You like education. You have no desire to go back to Detroit, at least under the same circumstances in which you left. And so obviously education stuck or, or resonated with you. What what was the next step after undergrad? Yeah, it was, um, and, and that's what it said. I, my, my dream, brother, was to graduate, hopefully get a chance to go play overseas or get a chance to play. And, um, you know, uh, that, that didn't manifest the way I thought it should. And, and, and to finish and then to go back to my high school and be the athletic director, man, coach and be the athletic director. That was my dream job, man. Okay. And so, um, <clears throat> so when I finished, had a chance to go get a trial to go play overseas and um, had a really good run, got an opportunity for the contract and tore my ACL. Wow. And so um, went back to Mississippi. They knew my true Detroit story. And my president said, we're not letting you go back to Detroit and um, hired me in the uh, president's office. And, uh, you know, did sort of like a gopher, man. I drove, uh, drove him around, carried his bags, uh, took notes at meetings and whatever else he needed me to do. And, wow. Then he uh, moved me over to financial aid and uh, worked in financial aid and student life. And uh rest is history, man. He told me, spoken to my life then. He said I had the potential to be a college president. So I used to be on the SGA and I was president uh, Pomart of our uh, undergraduate chapter. And I was president of NAACP, president of MPHC, and so real active student leader. I so I said to him, if I have to be if I if I have to do your job, I don't want it. I mean, because I caused pretty hell when you know when you were the president. So I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want another student causing that type of hell with me. Yeah. And so um, yeah, man. And so yeah, man. But the rest is history, man. From that, he spoke that in my life, and now twenty two, twenty three years later, I'm do, I'm doing what God has had me to do. Let me ask you this, man. When you were a gopher, when you drove, when you picked up, you know his his literally i picked up laundry, laundry. i picked up yeah. whatever was did, needed did, yeah did how did you feel about that did, did did that bother you 
No, man, I, I, I consider it as an honor, man. I, my president at that time was iconic, man. And so he was a person who believed in me. So as I said, I was from Detroit, so I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. You know, mm-hmm. I, so I didn't have, you know, when I, we played, we were in, in season and had two days, you know, being off. So um, my first year there, I ate Thanksgiving dinner in Kroger's and my mom was devastated, man. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I want my baby eating it there. And president found out and he made sure that I was at his house eating, never missing a meal without family, man. So it was just a, a commitment to students. He didn't have to do that. I'm just a, you know, just a regular student, but he found that out and made sure that those things happened. So I, I considered it, it an honor, man. And so, and for me it was, it was a job. I was getting paid. I was, you know, um, so I mean, and also too, for me, my ego was never tied. Still to this day, it was never tied to the stuff. I mean, this was, I thought this man gave me an opportunity to do some work, to show me the ropes and, believed in me in some ways didn't believe in me so that was just part of doing the job that I had to do during that season I teased that out brother because um you know I worked for a baby boomer um and he happened to be my college president as well my second gig in higher education and I I feel like I have this huge advantage for working um because I worked for a baby boomer. If a piece of mm-hmm. paper fell off the president's desk, I'd break my neck to pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, I made sure that there were no landmines uh, whenever he left his office. Um, I, I'd, I'd learned how to serve uh, and he taught me how to serve. And so I thought, I thought that was really interesting to hear that even at the very beginning of your, your career, uh, because it was, you know, I was four years, five years into my career uh, and serving at the pleasure of the president as his executive assistant. But um, I I never had, uh, you know, a notion or a thought, an inkling that this was wrong or this was beneath me or I was being belittled or I mean, I just and, he, and quite frankly, he never asked. You know, I, mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. those things. So mm-hmm. I just want, I wanted to tease, you touched on that. I wanted to tease on it because, you know, nowadays what I find, there's this insatiable appetite um, to get to um, the top before you you build your way, you build that bridge. So we'll, we'll, explore, <laughs> we'll explore that a little bit later, but, but I just wanted to touch on that. So... So Delta State was the first place that you labored in the educational vineyard. You're right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did that. So I worked in, you know, president's office. I worked in financial aid and student life. Then ventured over to uh, was recruited. Was presenting at a SACSA conference um, and was recruited to go to Western Carolina University in North Carolina, where I met, worked for probably one of the most dynamic. I can't even say sisters, but she was a sister, but one of the most dynamic leaders that I've ever worked for, a lady by the name of Jane Dumford. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm young. Um, I go into Western Carolina as a director at 25 years old. So I'm a young director of a you know research two institution, founding director of multicultural center. This is on a time where we were shifting over from, you know, um, 
you know, Office of African American Affairs to yeah. really multicultural and intercultural centers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was in, I think, maybe 2001, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so um, so really moved into that space, man. And uh, she she believed in me, hired a young brother who was hungry, you know, um, who was green in a lot of ways. Right. And so uh, but, you know, poured into me, uh, challenged me in ways that I hadn't been challenged before, um, pushed me but it made me a much better professional. And so from that, did that two, three years, man, then was promoted to assistant dean. And so moved, so a multicultural began to report to me. Then I had all of the other areas. I was over student activities. I was over um, uh, outdoor programs, leadership, Greek life. So all of those directors reported to me at that point at a large research two school, like 12,000 students at that point at, Western Carolina. And so did that. Um, and had an um, amazing time doing that for three more years and um, <clears throat> was at NASPA presenting and uh, ran into a guy who I would say, again, I, I've been blessed to have great mentors, man. A guy by the name of Bill Stackman. And I tell folks all the time, I pay homage to folks who none of us get anywhere by ourselves, right? Every folks, one folks, of them. That's you're right. right. Yeah. Right. They, 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 they take time to mentor, guide us. So, Bill Stackman, um, who, who still is a pillar in the student affairs field. He's the vice president of student affairs at University of Missouri now, but he's been at Notre Dame. He's been everybody was the vice president of student affairs at Rhodes College at mm-hmm. that point, one of the top 10 liberal arts institutions. And he hired me there with a very keen mission. He said, hey, I'm hiring you as my associate, um, you know, uh, VP. And what I need you to do is lead all of these areas. But also, too, we need diversity. I need you to bring diversity to this um, top uh, institution. So I became the chief diversity officer for the university and associate um, vice chancellor with him. And so did that for six years, man. He paid for my doctorate work and um, was able to do that. And so I want to say this too humbly, man. And I, every position that I that I was willing to take, I wasn't thirsty. Wasn't Once again, every wasn't looking, man. Mm-hmm. Wasn't looking, but also was intentional because I wanted to learn all of the competencies that I can learn in those positions before I was able, willing to go to the next position. Right? I wasn't that toolbox. Right? Let's let's pause. Yeah, let's pause right yeah. there. And I I want to to ask you first of all. I recognize that there's a theme in all the things that you were doing. One could argue that you were being excellent, and the opportunities found you. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't go looking. You were at places. Folks recognized what you were doing, kept your head down. You were excellent where you were. And that led you to where the next step was. I want to mm-hmm. I want to talk just for a second about interviews and how prepared you were for interviews and not really having to quote unquote study or prepare because your toolbox was replete with, um, with with just tools that allowed you to be conversational when you got to the presidency, right? When you got to that first mm-hmm. presidency and, and this second one, talk about how the toolbox allowed you to, to be in a space where obviously you went and you learned the history of the places, but you didn't have to prepare um, it wasn't like a comp exam, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't a big deal where you were, were sweating. I, I'm imagining this. We've never had that conversation, but I'm imagining that that was your situation. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, and I would even start with this as, as you 
know, as you've seen me many times, I'm five foot nothing, man. Um, and so with uh, with 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 uh, high tops on, and so you're um, a big man, but I, brother. I, you're a big man. <laughs> And, and what I say that in a sense, man, I, I was a captain on the once again one of the best Division two teams in the nation multiple years. I was, you know, I won a lot of games, and it wasn't because I was the fastest, I was the tallest, I was the quickest. The thing was, no one's going to outwork me, right? I was going to be the first one in the gym, last one to leave. I was going to. That's one characteristic that defines me as hard work mm-hmm. and dedication and commitment, right? So I was going to be that. So the same thing when it came to the work profession, right? I'm, I was never um, defined as one of the uh, I guess up and comings or any of those things that was mm-hmm. there, but I was going to, I was going to work and I was going to grind and every position I was in, I was going to learn everything that I could and more. Right. So if, even if I was uh, say VP of student affairs, when I did that, I wanted to learn everything about advancement. I wanted to learn everything about uh, finance. I wanted mm-hmm. to learn everything about academic affairs. Mm-hmm. So not that I was looking for another position, but when I was at that cabinet meeting, I wanted to be the smartest person in the room, yeah. right? I wanted to know a little bit about a lot that I was able to have intellectual conversations, so especially coming from student affairs. There's always the stigma of it not being a profession yes. and all of those pieces. Yes. So it was imperative that I was extremely knowledgeable about every other uh, area. So in return, when I was recruited for my first presidency, when I got to the interview, and I, I can say by the president there, who was intentional, that gave me all the, well, that forced me to take all of these responsibilities on. But what it did was when I got into the interview, there was not anything I didn't know about. Right. So once again, <laughs> it, was, it was a conversation. It was a conversation. It was a conversation. Yeah. Was a conversation. And so, and for me, it was able to ask them just as they were interviewing me, I was interviewing them. Yeah. Right. And so for, especially my first presidency, they asked the question was like, wow, you know more information about this institution than we do. I said, you know, but what is important, I'm not just coming. This is, this is not a job for me. Yeah. This, this is a lifestyle. This is, this is a profession. I'm consider myself a professional that loved this work. This is my ministry. Mm-hmm. I wasn't called to the pool pit. You know, I have a cussing spirit. So my ministry oh. is serving, <laughs> you know, first generation college students. So I, I know, I know what my gift is, man. And so I, you know, and so on judgment day, God would say, good work, my faithful servant based on the work that I do here. Mm-hmm. But I take it seriously. And so, yeah, man. So to your point, no, man, it was never a, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm, you know, it was more of like, Oh wow. Okay. Let's have this dialogue and so let's see if this is a good fit let's see if this is a good fit for both of us and if if it is we have a good marriage if it's not then boy you are touching on a lot like so first this notion of going to cabinet and being prepared um is one that i don't think people really think through um and being able to add value i was you know, in that same space, man, I didn't want to talk to talk. I always wanted to be able to add value. But more importantly, I wanted to understand the nexus between what I did and what everybody else did better than they did. I didn't have to know their jobs, better, but I wanted to understand that how the dots connected and how your area impacted mine and how mine impacted Mm -hmm. yours. And mm-hmm. I think when you do that, you put yourself in this place where people have but no choice um, to respect the work ethic um, and the desire to be an optimal team player. So I, I think that's, that's that's really critical that you 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 lift that up and talked about why you were who you were and um, 
how that translated to um, these conversations that you have about the presidency. I know the next step for you or the final step before you got to the presidency was being um, mentored and employed or under the employ of Edison O. Jackson. So you 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 mm-hmm. are you are lucky, man, blessed mm-hmm. um, in that you had an opportunity to be poured into um, by three or four, what, four, four individuals that impacted, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, from the, from the educational administration space. But I always tell people or try to uh, look at the fact that when those leaders see you, you're not the only person that is around them. That is, that is, there's an opportunity (laughs) for them to see everybody, but Mm -hmm. something that you did every step along the way caused for someone to take notice, to pour into you, to curate your goals, your aspirations and push you. What did Edison O. Jackson do for you at Bethune? Right. That's that's a that's a uh, amazing question. That's why we want to definitely get to that. But before I can talk about Edison O. Jackson, I have to pay homage to Trudy Kibbe Reed. So Trudy Kibbe Reed is who hired me as a young vice president. Right. I was 33 years old when she hired me as a vice president at Bethune-Cookman for student affairs. When other folks said I was too young. I didn't have HBCU experience. I shouldn't be going there. She said, I see something in you mm. that you are what I need at this point. Right. Yeah. You know, she and is a so sage, the, man. you know, she's, man, one she of, is, man. she's one of the more respected presidents in the United Methodist space as well. Obviously she's respected across the nation, but you should yeah. know mm-hmm. that the United Methodist church, uh, the GBHEM and all those folks are absolutely, mm-hmm. um, you know, smitten with the work that she's done at both uh, Bethune and uh, Philander. Philander, yeah, yeah. She's an awesome leader, man. And so poured into me, hired me, <clears throat> had a chance to work from her, work with her and see how she was able to be innovative, a master fundraiser, um, built seven buildings debt-free, was able to build endowment. I mean, she did outstanding work, right? And so, and that's, and that's interesting. So this one, you talk about, you know, letting your work speak for itself. So I'm under her leadership for three years. I'm loving, I'm riding it. I'm promoted from VP of Student Affairs to VP of Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. And so, um, so I'm in a great space. Well, and she says to me, like, you're the, one of the folks in this cabinet that I know will be a president. And so I said, well, listen, and I called her Mama Reed. I said, Mama Reed, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 toes down with you. I'm grinding. I'm learning. I know, there's nothing that I'm looking for at this point. And things, you know, change, and she ended up transitioning out. And so anytime you transition a president, you know, you at will of the new uh, president coming in, right? No you know, so I'm at the pleasure. I'm, I'm at the pleasure right. of the new ple- president. Right. And so, you know, and everyone at this point, you know, they were, were just, were, were just petrified, nervous. And I, I had the largest unit then, right? So at that point I had student affairs, enrollment management and facilities and mm-hmm. uh, physical plant. And so they were like, uh, so I had about 270 full-time employees. So I called them all in together and they're scared. Like, oh, a new president coming in. We don't know what's going to happen. And I said this to them. I said, our work will speak for itself. I don't care who comes in, right? We are a valuable asset and our work will speak for itself. And so um, Edison Jackson comes in. 
and I could, we couldn't have asked for, I couldn't have asked for a, 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 a better um, person to come in because he, he was a seasoned president, right? Mm-hmm. So his ego wasn't tied to it. He wasn't worried about if somebody wanted his job. And his thing was he wanted to prepare the next president. And so he hired an outstanding provost coming in, who's McCall um, Abdullah. He yes, brought in Hakeem Lucas. And so so who all of us now are presidents, right? So I was the first one to become one. Then McCall um, became one after, and then Lucas became one. But within that, just imagine those cap, uh, cabinet dynamics, right? Yeah. So he had, you know, three presidents on his cabinet that he developed to be presidents. But his, his leadership style was to such is that I'm preparing all of y'all to be presidents. So um, operate as such. When you come to these cabinet meetings, come prepared. Come, come with a level of knowledge and understanding that you're operating as a president, you know. And so when the search firm called me about the presidency to Harristow, you know, I, I denied it twice. I was like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And then they called him, called Dr. Jackson. And Dr. Jackson said this to me. He said, listen, you know, then at, by this point I was senior. After being with him, I became senior vice president. Then mm-hmm. at this point I had almost everything at the institution. I had uh, student <laughs> affairs, enrollment management, uh, if, if he uh, needed facilities, something done, he called you. He, he called me, auxiliary yeah. enterprises, everything, you know, was under then. He said, you know, um, you have this, right? This is, this is going to be here. Um, but you have never interviewed for a presidency. Go have a conversation. And I thought that's what I was doing. I went to Harristow. I went on a, uh, a visit and, and I fell in love with the students, fell in love with the students, fell in love with the campus. I came back and I was like, Doc, I think this is it. And that was my first time ever interviewing for a presidency, first presidency, first time ever put my name in and it happened and it, I was blessed to get it. And out phenomenal job, man. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a president that supported it, right? I didn't try to need to go behind his back and be slick or try to be conniving or, you know, undermining. Yeah. He he encouraged me, right? You know, so he created a culture and a space that was welcoming to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I went to Harris Stowe, man. I had a great board and uh, supported me and was, once again, in, in paradise, man. Completed five strong years and just had signed another uh, con- five-year contract renewal. Was happy. And um, then here comes Claflin University, you know. And Minding so, your own business. Uh, Minding my own business, brother. Minding my own business. Same thing when the first search firm called. Um, and once again, this is a podcast, so this is public. I don't ever say nothing that I want no one else to hear. Absolutely. I said no the first two times for that. I said, nah, Orangeburg, South Carolina? No, <laughs> man, I have a wife. Have a daughter, man. I'm not moving my family to Orangeburg. I didn't, I didn't even know Orangeburg was on the map. Right. And so, um, so I was, was just. I said no, man. I'm because I've, I've just never been anxious for anything. When thirsty, I was in a good space. Yeah. And so uh, after you know a few months go by, I get a call back again from a, a person named. Uh, uh, well, I won't. I won't disclose the name, yeah, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, I won't. Won't do that. Billy Todd. Billy Todd. Billy Todd. Billy Todd. You know, and so uh, said, hey, you know, this is probably one of the premier. HBCU jobs, man. If you're going to stay in this space, you might want to take a serious look at this one. And this person, this will have a high level of respect for. He's poured into a lot of us 
um, uh, Herman, he's, uh, there's quite a few of us that he's, yes. well, almost all of us, he's poured into us. And yes, so sir. A, a level of respect that I have. And I'm said, okay, he said, well, don't close doors before you know it. So I, I asked the search firm, I said, here, here's what I'll do. My wife and I will fly down there on our own dime <clears throat> and just tour the campus. And if this is something that we think makes sense, we'll put our name in the hat, but this is a family decision. She sacrificed a lot and moved, left Daytona to come to St. Louis with me. And so, um, so we went to, to, uh, flew to Columbia, drove to Orange Bird and, uh, pulled on campus and was like, wow, pleasantly shocked. Beautiful campus. Dr. Tisdale was an, uh, icon that was able to build that campus up over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Outstanding physical plant, strong academic, uh, her background had been 10 consecutive years ranked in the top 10. So I knew all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But I was just, the challenge was what is an eight-year-old daughter to yeah. Orangeburg, right? Yeah. An eight-year-old daughter, right? My family had already sacrificed a lot. You know, these jobs are tough, man. Folks see the glory, but don't know the story, yes, right? Sir. You know, you we give our time, effort, everything to 500, 700, 1,100, 2,000, 10,000 students but the people that suffer the most are the people that's closest to us. You know, we're I put in so many directions. It's funny, man, because when everybody's gone at five, the day mm-hmm. is just beginning. Exactly. Your weekends exactly. are free, but I got a slug on an airplane to go to a church, which I'm not begrudging, but I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because these things, these opportunities, these blessings, these gifts of serving, uh, come at a cost, and the people who are paying that cost are the family members, the loved ones. Mm-hmm. And so us young guys are watching the old heads and listening to them and making sure that our wives and our kids are following us when we go on these places, even if if it's for a day or two. You know, we're, 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 we're incorporating our families into uh, the travel, so the wear and tear. So yeah, that, that that's an excellent point about where, who who bears the brunt of uh, of, of service. Well, yeah, man. So it's it's um you know once again it's coming over the classroom and it's been you know nothing but heaven sent God sent man because we we love it you know we only thing when we went to campus and met the folks that gave us a tour and the outstanding students my wife looked at me and said this is where you're supposed to be. I said, you sure? And she's like, yeah, this is it. And so I said, all right, well, let's ride downtown. So we turned on the street called Russell Street. And it was like, she was like, well, I don't know, baby, if this is where you're supposed to be because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I said, now you're going to change. Like, yeah, I know you're supposed to be on the campus, but I don't know about the city. Right. You know? And so, um, but no, man, it ended up being, and, and, and the city has been tremendous, man. The, um, great mayor who's an alumni, a um, lot of uh, Claflinites that are all over the, the community. It's truly grown on us, man. We live in Orangeburg. We're loving Orangeburg. We're engaged in Orangeburg. Um, and so so it's been good, man. It's it's a phenomenal role. But I'll say this to anyone that's listening, man. It's, the most important thing is do outstanding work where you are. And what's for you is for you. You don't have to chase it. You don't have to, you know, because to, too often getting to the, seat is one thing but stand in the seat is another yeah. you know and if you don't have those core competencies and uh the ability to understand the institution as a whole um 
longevity is going to not is not going to be there, man. So learn everything you can learn in the position that you're in, and when it's when it's your time, it's your time, so and it's going to come. That's a that's a great point to uplift. One, be a student of the craft. Yes, indeed. Know know mm-hmm. what you don't know, and 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 seek to understand that which you don't know. I want to I want to touch on leaving and um, folks who are aspirational and inspirational, well, aspirational. I've always uh, had the posture that I, I want your career to move um, just as much as you do, probably not as much as you do because I believe inherently no one is gonna wake up and advocate for Dewan better than Dewan. I, I feel mm-hmm. I feel like that. That's how. That's what I believe. But I'm right behind those who I work with and those who I happen to have the pleasure of being able to guide. Um, but there's a way to leave, right? Um, uh, Alfred Pinkard, uh, one of our founders, always says we should carefully tie knots and we should carefully untie them. So when you're looking for that next gig, how frustrating for you is it to find out that somebody's looking um, without the courtesy of of sharing with you that they're looking? Right. Yeah, and I think my my situation, as I said to you, um, I I was blessed to have great mentors and supervisors, right? Mm. Um, and I would even say, you know, and some was more, you know, supervisors and some were more mentors, but within the same context, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to hide anything from them because we had outstanding relationships, mm-hmm. um, that we were able to be transparent. I knew that my best interest is what they had in mind. Right. Now I've heard other horror stories where other folks where it, it wasn't that, you know, they had supervisors where their best, their best interest wasn't in mind. So I, I think every situation and circumstance is different. So what I try to do is create a space. And that's what I tell folks all the time. Um, you know, I want you, I very similar as you said, I'm supportive of you moving to that next level. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a place, this is 23 years for me now, man. I'm, I'm, I, however folks may say, I, I feel like I'm on my downturn, right? I'm not, yeah. I'm at a place, I want to do 10 more years and I've, I've made this clear. I am i ain't trying to work time 80 or 90. That's right. not what I'm trying to do, right? So I have 10 more years. Yeah. I want to develop the next leaders that I can develop after me and create quality succession plans and help folks because we, we got to create a pipeline. And so, so that's why I love what you're doing, man. The obligation, what you're doing with it. The obligation uh, what you owe to the space is clear for you. It's clear. It's, it's clear. clear. For you. B- because because I I had people did it for me, right? You know, and so so I want to be able to help other folks that's helped to get the, now 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 because I create that space, and if you're manipulative and behind my back, you know this thing is this this profession is very clear. People think it's not about what you know or who you know. It's who knows you. Right. And and for black, they talk about six degrees of separation is significantly less than that. So someone's going to know that's going to know. Right. And, and so, they, they, I mean, that's just how it goes. Right. And so they're going to call. And so and if you have it not, if I've created this space, you know, and for me to for you to be that transparent and open honest when you hadn't done that, then because 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 your word and trust is the only thing that you have. Right. 
And so, yeah, I'll be slightly, slightly disappointed and I will have a conversation to ask why, you know, um, but I've, I've been fortunate, man. Everyone that's worked for me that's gone on to, I think it's probably been, and I was a, a VP, I think I had probably six to leave me and go become VPs or, or, or dean somewhere. And I was excited, man. I, I mean, I, that was part of my legacy, you know? Yeah. And so now how many presidents can I produce, right? Yes. How many folks can I help become a president? And I, I'm excited about that, but this is what I tell them. Don't leave the job half done, right? You know, so it's, if you, I want you to have, you know, anytime you go into a position, you want to leave it much better than it was before you got there, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But if you if you leave and trying to go and and, and it's half baked and you're not, I don't mind roasting you. I'll, yeah. I'll roast you. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and private. Um. For sure. And if need be, I roast you in public. Yeah. I think I think that's uh the 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 chastisement, or rather the accountability that people run from. Mm. And mm-hmm. accountability mm-hmm. is necessary because if you if you're not first of all none of us are are getting these jobs right all the time. There are some exactly. that get it right significantly more than others. Right. Um, but <laughs> but uh, you know I think when you're coming up, the spirit of um, of learning and um, being in a space where you can receive. Um, the tutelage from a person who you are following, uh, I, I think, is mission critical. Uh, if you can't do that, you're you're really not fit um, to lead anything, much less uh, to lead an institution. Um, so, so the the student affairs track, you know, you talked about there being this this uh, misnomer that these are not practitioners, these are not professionals you know we we go through that uh, as well in the institutional advancement space how how do you square um that statement with the fact that people are moving into the presidency um quite frequently from the student mm-hmm. affairs space well i think folks are realizing now more than ever so in my dissertation work up looked at this notion of student engagement and the impact of retention and student satisfaction. And so when you look at students spend 78 to 82% of their time outside the classroom. So that means 18 to 22% of their time is in a class. And so you can get a great theoretical perspective. So as a sociologist, I learned all about Karl Marx, Max Weber, Durkheim, all of these theorists. But mm-hmm. how, how do I apply that theory to practice? So the time that was outside of that classroom matters. So we have to develop the student holistically. That's academically, personally, socially, and for me, spiritually. And so all three of those other components are happening outside the class. And so um, student affairs play a significant role of educating a student. And so what happens is, like you said, oftentimes as a as a provost, where folks would think it's a traditional space, the provost oftentimes get to go home at five, right? At student affairs, my day just was starting at five. You know, I I knew I had to go to this event at night. I knew I had to be at this event on Thursday night. I knew I had to be mm-hmm. at all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so what it did was when I became a president, that wasn't new for me, right? Mm-hmm. When I knew at five o'clock when everybody else was gone, I was able to get some things done at this point. There was no meetings. I was able to write strategy, <laughs> uh, review budgets, all of these things, right? But at my student affairs preparation knew if I had been coming from the academic side of the house, generally, like, I'm going home at, at five, right? right? You know, and so 
I was used to it. So I think it prepared me. And then you think about right now, most of the time in the presidency is this crisis management. How do you deal with the crisis stuff? Yes. So right now the whole coronavirus and everybody's asking questions and pulling groups together and crisis response, emergency management teams. Well, student affairs, we chaired that. You know, and so, you know, so be just being prepared for that conversation, no matter what conference you go to, they're talking about mental health issues, right? Mm -hmm. Well, who does that typically fall under? So all of these things have been at the forefront of what we've done in student affairs. And so the preparation for the about to get prepared me for the presidency. So I think that's other folks issues. So what I, what I always told student affairs perfection, the work is there, but how do we continue to be scholars as well in regards to scholarship and, you know, putting out publications and writing about the outstanding things that we're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, um, most people that know me know that there's one question that, um, woman, man, or child can ask me that sends me on 10. Um, it used to uh, really bad, but now it just it, it, I can contain it. It's the the question of relevancy of HBCUs, man. How do you mm. how do how do you deal with <laughs> how do how do you deal with that, bro? Um, I I think, man, knock on wood. I think folks have become um, well, you, you know, I don't I don't sugarcoat much of anything. So, um, folks, they know. I guess it's been. No, not to say that to me, um, because I I will say some pretty disrespectful shit stuff. Yes, um, to, to some folks. Shit, some here's pretty the thing, disrespectful. Man, right? I was disrespectful yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah sure would, yeah. man. And so, because what? Here's the thing, bro. Like the thing is this: you don't ask that question. Someone asked me that in St. Louis, like, oh, you know, why, why, um, and in today's time, and you know, with the with the emphasis on diversity and inclusion, why is there still a need for an HBCU? I said, damn, it's so interesting you asked me that. So we were on a, I was on a panel at St. Louis University. I said, so interesting you asked me that. I said, so is there, you should ask the same question. Why is there still a need for a Jesuit institution? So should we not make SLU right here a Jesuit institution? Or should we not have gender-based institutions? You don't ever have that conversation. But you want to talk about why is there still a need for an HBCU? Oh, I didn't think about it that way. I said, no, because you didn't want to think about it that way, right? I said, HBCUs have continued to be outstanding producers of African Americans in multiple disciplines, right? And so you go through all of the stats. We talk about the STEM field. You can talk mm-hmm. about judges and doctors and lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so, but for me, we don't have to continue to justify and validate that shit. Right. The reality is we're producing, but you're not going to say, oh, there's no need for Catholic schools anymore, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No, there, you, you believe in that. You believe there's a role for Catholic institutions. That's what makes America, America, the diverse higher education opportunities that are there. And so, um, you know, so when you tell me, okay, so we're, we no longer need, need Jesuit institutions, no longer need Catholic, we no longer need any type of these other institutions, then, then we can have a conversation. But until then, that's just the same conversation when I'm in, uh, having dialogue with, um, legislators and they'll hear this notion of, uh, well, I don't think college is for everyone. And, you know, um, you know, folks can take alternative tracks. Well, where, where did you send your kids? <laughs> you know, oh, but college is good enough for your kids, but, not but it's all. not good enough for mine. Yeah. Well, come on, come on, man. Three, right. three words pop into my mind when that question is around me. And, and it's always, you know, the general populace that wants to ask mm-hmm. that question. And, and you're at these different uh, conversations and it's, you know, you mad, bro? You, right. you, you mad, bro? You, are you mad that we were born out of necessity and and are brilliant? Are, are, are you mad that we are underfunded at every turn and we're still producing what we produce? 
are you mad? Like, what? what's the problem? You know, it, 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 it seems to be a very logical um, uh, question for those who don't understand our space. And so I really had to reimagine how I dealt with that question and went from the anger to just education. And some days you might get fire. You know, some days mm-hmm. you might get a little spark and some days you might get absolutely not a damn thing from me. Just a look. You know, but right. it, it just it, <laughs> right. it, it's inherently um, for me, inherently a racist question that deals with um, also um, a subjugated population, if you will, from from the, the person who is asking that question. That it's a it's from a place of inferiority um, mm-hmm. or, and or sure. superiority. So I, I, I typically am not willing to give any credence, uh, to that. What are you hopeful about this space, man? What do you, what, what, what gets you really going to say, you know what, not only did the, um, the Trudy, uh, Reed, the Edison O. Jackson's, the Jimmy Jenkins, the Dorothy Yancey's, they did it. What what makes you think that there is even greater um, uh, crescendos to be um, reached? Well, when I think about the people that I'm serving in this space with right now, right? So when I think about Herman Felton, when I think about Rosalind Artist, when I think about Kevin Rome, I think about Walter Kimbrough, when I think about Kent Smith, when I think about, you know, um, you name it, right? You yeah. know, uh, Roderick Smothers. When yeah. I when I think about that, this group, you know, this notion of we got now, mm-hmm. and thinking about the 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 you know just the intellectual capacity that's produced from that group, the the grit, the, you know, the one that that's committed to this space, you know, and I think folks don't realize we're in this space because we want to be, not because we have to be, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the distinct. Uh, piece that's there. This is this is what we've decided to give our gifts and talents to, and so um, folks are putting in real work, man. I, I, you know, folks are grinding, folks are um, you know making real difference, man. And so I mean, so I know with with this type of leadership in 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 our space, the sky's the limit, man. You know, and it so is, I think it's um it's refreshing. And so I, I don't say that with you know when I go sit in those meetings, you know, with you all and seeing, you know, what happens. And so we're, we are standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. You know, folks that came before us and did outstanding work, you know, um, and I think it's still having access to those individuals to, um, you know, pour into us and help guide us. But I just think about, you know, what we are able to do in this space now. And like I said, this is the second presidency now. So it, it, things are a lot different, you know, where, where I came in and could have been timid and unsure <laughs> on the first one. That's not Everything that hits I, differently I in that second right. one, brother. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's very differently, brother. So um, so I'm excited to be serving in the space with, with, with my brothers and sisters that I know are committed to the space, you know. And so, um, but also, too, every day on our campuses, man, we have some phenomenal young, young man, scholars, yes. man. You know, yes. that can go anywhere in the country, yeah. right? And so this this myth of, oh, they get no, we don't get by we get we get top quality students that can go anywhere, but that choose to come to a place where they're gonna be nurtured, where yeah. they can be developed holistically and where they can have folks and see folks that look like them to help prepare them for a global society. You know and I, so that you excites know, me. You know what I stopped doing, Duan? I stopped I stopped even trying to um, uh, 
you know, validate the brilliance on our campus. I don't even, I'm not going to even talk about the, the scholars that we have on our campus as it is to say, oh no, we don't just have people who are looking for uh, a second chance or we're not just an open door admissions. No, Joker, we've, we've got students who can go to Yale, Harvard, and all those places if they are the standard, which we know they aren't because now we've understood clearly that people are paying to get into those joints. People are using you know, uh, cards that grandmama and them uh, you know, pass down. So, you know, th- don't, don't talk to me about, um, you know, what type of students you have. We, they, the gift we get is seeing them every day. And they actually, I think, I know for me, bro, they they make this job easier because the, the humans that we have to deal with, the grown humans on the day-to-day mm-hmm. basis, uh, you know, they can, they can light, uh, put a damper on a flame in a heartbeat. Yes, indeed. So, you know, having that, 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 kids students young young adults young scholars um i would say would be a reason why i'm i'm so amped as well let me ask you a couple more questions man um when we talk about um this this notion of of the presidency um you know at, at the higher education leadership foundation we are not a vehicle for the presidency that's not what we espouse to do what we espouse to do is to help folk um, reimagine what leadership looks like and to challenge how they lead. Now, six of us have gone on to become presidents since we founded HELF, and we're happy about that. And a host of folks have ascended to the provost, the EVP, um, and so on and so forth. We believe that leaders find themselves in the, in the seat of the presidency. Um, when did you, because this is a question that many people, I think, um, don't recognize should be uh, answered by others. When did you recognize and who recognized when it was time for you to go to become a presidency? And I, what I'm getting at is, is, is it... Is it normal for people to say, young grasshopper, it's time for you to go right now? Should folks be waiting for that to happen? Or without compunction, should people be saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to be the president right now? And I, I'm, I'm saying that because most people feel like uh, being a vice president and a PhD is enough to get you to the presidency. Which we know right. that shit is nowhere yeah, that's far near. from the truth, yeah. right? Yeah, that's far from the truth. Yeah. Um, and then I think first off, I would just caution everybody to think that the president is this uh, <laughs> shiny quarter, fifty cent piece. I mean, it's shit. It's lonely at the top, man. It's like it's literally lonely. You don't have counterparts, right? You know, not it's not a great campus. job. You have a chance, you know, not on that's campus, right. right? That's what I'm saying. That's right. And so I just remember as a cabinet member, you know, I had all my colleagues and we could be like, damn, what's the president damn tell is he yes. talking about? What is he you talking about? So <laughs> talking about, right? Like, but so when you walk out the room, as a they talking about you, right? Absolutely. You know, the deans have, you know, dean council, you have directors, you have, so it's, it's just not, and then leadership is tough where you make decisions that everyone's not going to like, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then folks don't see 
the once like I said earlier about being away from the family, yeah. about you know when when you're, you're trying to balance this budget and make sure everybody has payroll, you have to make cuts that could impact folks' lives. You how about get, those you anonymous to, letters, bro? Man, non-stop <laughs> anonymous letters, right? Non-stop frivolous lawsuits, you know, about foolishness, right? Yeah. You know, so um, you have to have tough skin. You have to have tough skin to do this work. And so uh, first of all, I'll say just really, um, truly assess if that's the job you really want. If you want it for just the title and the glory, that ain't the job, you man. Gonna you know what I'm you're going to crash, crash and, burn. and burn, right? You get worn out. But if you really want to come put the work in, do it. And so I would say, secondly, to your point, if, um, so as a, as a vice president with a PhD, I, I don't think that's the ticket, right? <laughs> I think the ticket, I mean, those are, those are part of, right? But there's a lot more substance that have to come behind that for that to happen. But I think third, you know, um, being in an environment, you know, so to the point of, you know, does someone tell you, you know, I, I just think it's all situational, right? You know, where that I was fortunate to have folks that say, hey, you put in this work. It's time for you to go. Even when I didn't think I was ready, mm -hmm. right? I, I was still young. Mm -hmm. I was 36. When I accepted my first presidency, I was super young. And um, But at that point, I still had, what, I don't know, 15, 16 years in the profession, you know, and so, um, so, but when they said, you're ready, I'm like, oh, no, let me stick around for, you know, another year, two year. No, no, I think you're ready. And so I said, no, I, I, I don't think so, because that wasn't what I was chasing, right. you know, and so, um, so I was fortunate to have that, that support. But I've also, like I said, I've heard folks on the other end where folks are saying, you know, like, oh, wait your turn. It ain't your turn. Like, I don't, I don't know when the turn is, like, per se, you know, and so when, when folks, you know, say those type of things. So I just think it's, uh, you situational. know, situational. I think, I think that, situational. that, mm -hmm. that's the dopest way to really, um, describe it because you don't want to be accused of, um, dampering. Uh, someone's light or right. mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. them thinking that you really don't believe in them. Actually, no, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know what it, I know what attributes, skill sets that you, mm -hmm. that, that are required to do this job. Well, you don't want to just get there. You want to, you want to, you want to have staying Stay power, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you don't have it. You, you just don't. Mm -hmm. And that, mm -hmm. that's a tough conversation um, to hear. And I don't think people really understand that. And the reality is, is this, there's 90 of these joints, right? And 85 of them have presidents sitting in them right now. And um, all of them have seven to 10 VPs and EVPs with them. So you're competing right. against all those, plus all the people at the white schools, all the mm -hmm. people who are in business, plus some of the board members, the reality right. is, is that everybody's <laughs> not going to get to the presidency, bro. It's just, not. It, it's not going to happen for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want, you want people. Um, I, I know, I know folks who are constantly sitting, waiting for the next search. Um, and some of them, you can be direct if you know them well enough and others, you just say, Hey, um, you know, <laughs> Get them, get them next time, uh, uh, mm -hmm. partner. Mm -hmm. Get them next time. Um, right. Uh, and it's 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 a it's a it's situational, and I I, I appreciate um, that offering because it is, and some people are. But I would I would echo those sentiments and also encourage people to really really make sure that they have uh, truth 
retailers around them right. who yep. can tell mm-hmm. them that they're not ready uh, or they are ready, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if we say that, if I said, like, um, I have one that worked for me, and if I said that he or she wasn't ready, right, but here's what I'm going to do to help you get you ready. Right. right. Here's what I'm doing to pour into you. Uh, I'm not just telling you ain't ready to crush your spirit. I'm telling you this because I want you to be a reflect reflection on me. Once you're in that seat, they're calling me as a reference. Right. Mm-hmm. So here, here's what I, here's what I'm going to give you um, to, if, if I feel you're lacking here, understanding um, finance, right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take on these projects. Right. Or here's you're lacking an institutional advancement. Here's how I can give you these projects to lead this sort piece of the campaign yeah. you know just giving being intentional about giving things outside of the scope of the day-to-day responsibility to help them get ready right yeah. so i yeah i tell folks all the time the easy part is identifying the problem the challenge is coming up with solutions and so every time someone meets with me you know as you know this you talking about from anonymous letters to everybody got to complain about <laughs> something so what they've learned with me fast right so the, if you come to me with a complaint you better have three solutions. Mm. If you don't have three solutions, you might as well don't have a conversation. So it, it's limited the amount of folks that want to come meet with me now because they don't want to have you know, real accountability <laughs> and responsibility to go back and do something with the work, right? So you showing and your so, ass at the cabinet meetings for back? Is that, is that what's oh, going man, on? shit, do I? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Have you ever yeah, I mean, kicked man. anybody out of a cabinet meeting, bro, or just said, look, uh, look n- we're leaving, go away? <laughs> Or, or I just left. Yes. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was at yeah my, my previous institution. Yeah. yeah, man, it got just so at a place where I just didn't think that you know we were connecting. It was not um, sinking in, and I'm like, you know what, this is over. You know, until y'all can be able to get together. Because for me, I believe in hiring leaders. Right? If yes. I have to do your job, I don't need you. We got a problem. You know, and so we got a problem, and so. If I'm if I'm facilitating all of the dialogue and I have seven VPs around this table and I know what everybody's making, and so I, there's a lot of money in this room yeah. for decisions not to be made, mm-hmm. you know. And so mm-hmm. um, I encourage you know, and I and I don't micromanage, right? I hire leaders to be leaders, right? And so if this is your area. I expect you to get it done, but if I have to come in there and and lead the conversation or lead it around your space. Mm, that's no, a challenge. That's not going to be good. Yeah, that's I, not going to be good. I always tell people to look for predictors. And if I get real mm-hmm. quiet and we don't talk often, you probably need to be like really stepping up or looking mm-hmm. for another mm-hmm. gig. One or the right. other. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which leads me to the last uh, segue. And before I hit you with some rapid fire questions, um, the presidency is not monolith. Um, it was more close to monolith um, the last iteration. And what I mean by that is is the presidents went to ball games with suit and ties on. Um, the presidents uh, walked one way. They wore blue suits. They, didn't, they wore war, war, white shirts, uh, dark suits. You know, there was the, the type of um, personality um, or authenticity that is in this space now. I think is a double-edged sword. For instance, I was told that my suits were too tight. Mm. <laughs> okay. What? So, so what? That, that's ageism, right? Because they would never say mm-hmm. that to, I don't think that question would have ever been said to a senior 
um, president, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, you might want to think about, so you know you know me, you know I went home and did as many push-ups as I could <laughs> and tried to, until I got the tightest fitting um, tailor-made suit and put mm-hmm. it on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and put some sneakers and a fitted cap on and went to the meeting. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, but the double-edged sword here is, is that with our authenticity, people in leadership while we're leading, do you ever find that people get comfortable or take you for granted? Um, I'm not a screamer. I don't curse at VPs. I don't pitch a fit. I'm stern and I might have a look that make, may make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, and my questions may come pretty quickly uh, with no filter, but I don't disrespect people and I'm never going right. to be that type of person. So I always tell folks, you got to get comfortable with me because I might, we might have a tough conversation and I might ask you to go get, go get a sandwich right after that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, managing that, that space, the ebb and flow. What, what has been, or have you had any challenges in that space and what, what kind of, um, advice can you give to brothers and sisters coming up? And when we say brothers and sisters, uh, party people, we mean white, black, Latino, it doesn't matter. We, you know, we brothers and sisters are simply brothers and sisters in the struggle. Um, so what, what advice would you give, uh, and what examples, uh, if you, if, if you've had any with ageism, uh, as it relates to your leadership? Right. Um, so I, this, this is one that I probably want to reserve until I see you in June okay. at, um, okay. at, at, the, at the help. I mean, because this one, I mean, this this one is real, right? You know, and so for me, as you know, I'm very real. I'm oh, right, v- perceived as young all the time, right? You know, and so, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, don't I, don't, I, even go there, really, don't even no, go no, there, bro. Don't even go there. No, but it's what I wanted. I wanted to. I really want to touch on this one with in in the space where it's a an, an environment. Yes, yeah, sir. that that can happen because you think about you know. So I would I would even say, you know, when you are, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I just, no, ageism not, is real. Like, I, I, here, yeah. Here's what I would say: is this ageism is real, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so just as we talk about uh, um, racism, you know, classism, sexism. Ageism is is probably, and especially in the African American community, right? And then you think about the church. You think about the Black church, anything right? You know, anything that's exactly. patriarchal. Anything that's patriarchal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, so the, the the notion of so I what I've what I've done I've had in situations I'll, I'll go back so I don't even have to make it recent I can go back where I never forget when I got the job at Bethune I was told by an employee that. Oh, baby, I'm old enough to be your grandma. <laughs> and um and I and I'm like, Oh, that's so sweet, but mm-hmm. that's probably why my grandma's never worked for me. Yeah. Right? Because I have a different <laughs> level of accountability. The that's why she's back my grandma, is real, not my employee. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, but then that same notion we had a employee to come and say, Hey, well, uh, I had a um I won't identify the institution, but I will say employee you know was like it was a was a live-in hall director right mm-hmm. and the person was live-in and uh you know i've been in this position 28 years hence that's a problem right if you're a hall director for 28 years that's a problem yeah. secondly um you know said you know so there was a we they had curfew in this building and so we were still doing curfew 
And so I was like, hey, let me check the curfew logs. Let me just check. And it was only the logs on the first floor. And so it was three floors in the building. I'm like, this don't make sense, you know? Like, And so I said, give me the whole last year logs. It was only one floor. So I asked the person, I said, there's no, uh, you know, uh, logs for second and third floor. Well, baby, there ain't no elevator in this building. I ain't going to no second and third floor. You can go do it. Um, you know, I said, excuse me? Yeah, I, I ain't been up there in uh, four to five years. Oh, really? But but you do, but you're paid a full, so you're doing a third of your job, but you've been paid a full salary. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pay you one third of the salary <laughs> um, until you're able to go to the second third The clapback right? is real, dog. You know, like I'm telling you, brother. Yeah, but but once again, ageism goes yes. once back to this thing again. Like, yes. you know, like, oh, well, this young young guy, he doesn't know. And, well, cool. And that's what I tell folks all the time. I don't do any tongue wrestling. Yeah. Very similar, brother. I don't do a lot of yelling. I don't do a lot of, you know. There's uh, no need. What I tell you is no not. Need. And my like paycheck says the I'm the president. My title says exactly. I'm the president. I need you to understand tr- that. Because I'm not. And I'm I control not, the pen. That's right. That's right. I control the pen. Like, tell students, don't, you can't win that battle in the classroom with the faculty. They control the pen. Yeah. So I I control the pen. So I'm not about to get into any tongue wrestling matches. Okay, fine. Yeah. You think you run it? Cool. I'm super excited that 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 conversation is one that you feel is is really important because I don't think people understand that. And and you know I've had Roz on 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 the podcast. I've had Colette. Um, and they, man, the stories that they tell, even at health, uh, about what our sister presidents go through, man, it's just inconscionable. You know, you just, you just can't believe how, how women are, are treated. You can, uh, because of this imperfect nation or rather the people, the imperfect people of this perfect nation. Um, but it is disheartening. And I, I think people, um, it's sort of like men being abused. People don't mm-hmm. really give any credence mm-hmm. to it. But being perceived as a young leader has uh, is fraught with challenges. Um, so I'm glad you, you feel that way as well, man. And, and that, that does not conform, right, to yeah. what the social norms and what that should be, blue right. suit, white shirt. Right. You know, like, I, you know, I, I, I've made it public even here when, you know, I'm, I'm coming behind an icon, right? You know, he was here a long time, and he, my, my predecessor, you know, he, he wore suits all the time. He, yeah. If you saw him in the gym, he had a suit on, you know. And so for, for them, it was new. I walked on campus, and I had on basketball shorts at, you know, wasn't, I hadn't started yet. I'm in the gym and folks were like, Oh wow. You know, I'm, so before I started, you know, I'm at a, me, my wife and my daughter, we were on a vacation and, and, um, I think we may have been a Aruba or St. Martin. Saint, I don't know. Some, one of these islands and we're taking a family photo. Right. And so I have on some polo shorts, some air force ones and a tank top. And my wife have a sundress on and my daughter have on her little swimsuit with her shorts all over covered. And when they announced me as president, it sort of went around from folks at my institution that 
they've hired the Antichrist because <laughs> I had my arms out and shorts on. <laughs> this is not how a president is supposed to look. Oh, a president does not goodness. supposed to wear. Uh, all right, look at his his arms are out, and it and he has on shorts. Is that presidential? I said, Wow, if that's the wife doesn't have on Saint John's. Oh, right, the horror. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm telling you. It's it's hilarious, man, the stuff that actually goes on around here. But uh yeah, my my favorite moment and there's probably a dozen um that I've had uh was being told that my my suits were too tight. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> You better than me. I would have said, are you buying me some more? Listen, no, you know, it wasn't right? even about that. You, I told you what I did. I went and did as many push-ups as right. I could <laughs> to right. make it super tight. Get the guns going. Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm not the one, right? Right. Um, I got my I got my coins, so at any time, uh, we're going to be prepared mm-hmm. to dip when it's, when it's exactly. time to dip. So, yeah, when it's time to dip. Um, so I That's think that, that allows that authenticity to, to come into place. You know, my fitted cap goes everywhere I go including mm-hmm. to interviews because I do not right. want to be schizophrenic. I mm-hmm. don't want to be hiding a, a ball cap when the board comes on, on campus. Right. So there's no reason for me to do that. So let me just do this. And I've had people ask, I even had one alum uh, say, why are you wearing that? You should be wearing the school colors. Well, I probably, I probably should, but you, you know, some pictures you see me with the school colors on and some see at the end of the day, um, I do what I want to do. And as long as I know that I am, um, you know, holding the office of the president and the standards uh, of it in, in its highest regards, uh, let me be great. Let me be great. Appreciate you. Go ahead, bro. No, that's that's exactly what I'm saying, man. I I don't believe we have to hide behind traditional uniform Mm -hmm. to do the work. I tell folks all the time, judge me by my body of work. That's it. And you know, don't don't don't, I don't need to hide behind a uniform. That's it, man. Um, Look, we could do this all night long. I know that um, there will be several other opportunities for us to get together. You're welcome to come back on this piece. Um, we definitely want to help. We want to get down to uh, Orangeburg and come on your campus and do a podcast live from uh, from Claflin, man, and, and which would give us an opportunity to talk to student leaders and some of your brilliant faculty just to showcase um, uh, Claflin and the beautiful things that you have going down there, the amazing, uh, the, the, the utopia of excellence that you have down there, man. We, we're looking forward to getting down there um, to, to make that happen, man. So I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and rapping with us, man. But before we go, um, we got some rapid fire questions for you, bro. Sounds good. Ready for these? I'm ready. Favorite ball club, basketball? Detroit Pistons. Favorite football team? Detroit Lions. Favorite color? Red. Favorite movie? Loving basketball. Um, Hip hop or trap music? Hip hop. I'm a product of hip hop. Hip hop. You're a product of hip hop with a strong appreciation for trap. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, um, 
SUV or um, sedan? Um, geez, both. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite theologian? Stacey L. Spencer. Mm. Given your roots, I was thinking that C.L. Franklin might have been up yeah. in there, but he they're, was, was, they're in that same in space. Yeah, they're in that same <laughs> space. They're the same, yep. same, same space. Um, favorite uh, time of the academic year? Um, hmm. Early fall, when students are coming back, right after orientation, walk them week, all of those activities when campus is vibrant, when they're all coming back. So first couple weeks of school. I was going to ask Founders Day or homecoming, but that is a loaded question. That, that's going to get you in trouble with both. It get uh, me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> both, both segments, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> Right. The last question. I think this is a knee. I'm in a belt high fastball. Nonetheless, I still think it, you're going to answer it with um, with a veracity that is consistent with the truth telling that you do. What's the dopest fraternity in the land known to man, my brother? Yeah, now this is the easiest one. I thought you were about to give me some hard man. I, Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, Yo to the Noobs, is the best fraternity frat. So nice had to name it twice. Period. Yo to the Noobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there. I don't know how many we are running at now, right now, bro, but I, I have to give it to them. Them damn alphas are everywhere in the HBCU presidency, and it is everywhere. sickening. Roderick Smothers <laughs> and Walter Kimbrough and George French and Crite and well, I don't know about Crite, but I know Hadrick, Crite, too. Lucas, McCola, Picard, Alpha Pinkard. I mean, just every damn way you turn around is one of them damn alphas. <laughs> it's one of them. It's yes. one of them. Yes. Right, right. Yes. But we, we're, we're on our way. We're on yes, our we, way. We, indeed we are, man. Indeed and and the are. ones that we have in this space, we hold it down. Man, so. Michael Sorrell has just been beasting folks for a minute, right? Um, for a minute. So we, yes, we, we up in this piece. There's a good little bit of us. Um, yes, and, indeed. Uh, and yep. more to come. More to come, man. Brother, I wish you um, God's blessings, um, just tenfold uh, enrollment counts, no police calls, uh, no, <laughs> no, no parent in interactions. I, I just wish nothing but the best for you. Um, your family and and the Claflin family, man. So just just grateful that you're in this vineyard of education um, and laboring in it with us, man. So we're really really happy to have you, and and just want to thank you, man. I appreciate that, brother, and continue to do the outstanding work that you're doing, man. You're touching so many lives, not just on your campus, man, but the work that you're doing with health. I think I've sent ten of my employees, my last count your program man because i believe in it that much man so and, I, and folks who know me know i don't send my people anywhere and so uh, man, i think it might be i think work. i think it's 11 actually oh okay yeah 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 well we can we can yeah. we can we can actually subtract one that snuck in 
Oh, oh right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a referral of mine. That, I, I you make know what? that very clear. But that just goes to show when I saw the name, I said, okay, he's with Warmack. There's nothing else to talk about, right? Um, but but I know now that uh, I will <laughs> always call uh, and say, hey, man, uh, what this is. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad grammar, but it's good communication. We try no, to figure right. out who. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. Um, yes, indeed. Any parting shots, man? Anything you want to say before you get out of here, bro? I don't think I'm saying, man. Thanks, man. Once again, thanks for having me, man. Uh, thank you for, like I said, serving in this space with me, and thank you for being an authentic brother, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate the work that you're doing, and looking forward to staying on this journey with you, man. Strong work, my brother. God bless you, man. God bless you as well. All right, thanks take care, a lot. Bro.